All right. How many of you ever wish you had someone else's parents? Hmm. <laughs> Brother Anton's like, mm. I don't know if you thought that was a weird question or if you were surprised at how many people actually raised their hand. Uh, well, we got tough kids. We got tough teens. They're not afraid to be honest. Hold on a second, I gotta sneeze. It'll come later. Uh, sorry. All right. Some of you wish you could change your parents. Your parents are too strict. Um, they don't. They don't. You think they don't do enough for you? They never give you what you want or what you asked for. Um, they just seem to make your life more difficult. All right, this crew right here, I can see we're going to have to separate them. I I'll make a prediction. We will have to separate them. Are you? Am I a prophet? Am I? Prove me wrong, all right? Prove me wrong. All right. So our parents can sometimes seem to make our lives more difficult, and sometimes we just wish we could change. We'll swap. We'll parent swap. That'll be a show. It is a show, isn't it? It's wife swap, where it's, it's kind of a little bit. All right? Yeah, parent swap. Hmm. Send me the royalty checks when you come up with that show, all right? Uh, but tonight we're going to look at, at a book of the Bible uh, and see how even, even though the Israelites had God as their father, God is their parent, all right? God has taken them under his wing to be their father. Even then, with God as their father, they could only look at the negative and find ways to complain and focus on the painful parts of their lives and feel like God was a bad parent. So we are going to look at the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Bible, uh, last book of the Old Testament. Last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. So, how many of you have ever read the book of Malachi? Darren did. <laughs> yeah. Chris and I went through it at Word of Life, but uh, it's just like, whew. Uh, it's a short book, but it's a book that focuses on the heart. God is going to get directly into the heart of the Israelites. And they're complaining against him, but God comes back and has some complaints against them. And this whole book is focused on sincere worship of God. If there was anything at the winter retreat that I would have said wasn't as good, everything about the winter retreat was fun. I mean, it was a great weekend, right? I mean, if the, except for the rock Bernard fell on. That's true. If there was one thing I could say I would, I would wish was a little better was the, the worship time. And I know Anthon wasn't there, and, and there was just something about it that just felt like, okay, th yeah, this is worship time. We will sing what's on the screen, but we're just kind of waiting to get to the next thing. When in reality, the worship time should be one of uh, the main focuses for you and one of the main times of enjoyment. So, yeah, let's turn off our cell phones um, and, uh, and we can focus on what God has to say tonight. All right, so the book of Malachi, chapter 1, 
And we're only going to deal with the first five verses tonight, all right? So, here's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. All right. So here we are in the last book of the Old Testament. And it starts out saying that this is an oracle. What's an oracle? It's not the Matrix. It's not the woman from the Matrix. It's not the big statues in the never-ending story. Uh, who's seen the never-ending story? You have, to, you have to see it. Oh, good stuff. Yours says a, a burden. That's actually a very good word. What is an oracle? Someone or something that predicts the future. Okay, that's what TV and movies have taught us an oracle is. But in the Bible, an oracle like, like this, um, an oracle is, Kevin said it, it's a burden. All right? It's a burden. It's something that is urgent, that needs to be said because something is wrong. Okay? So God says, I have an oracle. And when God says something is a burden to him, we should listen, right? Because it's, it's kind of important. So God says, I have a burden. It's like, it's, this is going to be something strong. All right? This is not, hey, Israel, how's it going? Uh, you know, I heard you were sick. I was just dropping by to see if everything's okay. Uh, that's not what this is, okay? When God says an oracle is coming, people are scared. And they should be. Um, so here we go. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word of the Lord. If a five-year-old kid comes up to you and tells you to go buy him some candy. Go buy me some candy right now. You, no, you don't know the kid. It doesn't... It doesn't matter. You're not really going to listen to this kid, right? You're not. The, the, word, the word of the kid is not really that authoritative for you, right? But God says this is the word of the Lord. Now, we've changed who's saying it. Does it matter now? The word of the Lord. So God is saying, this is coming from me. You buy the Lord candy any day. Very good. Very good. Okay. So God is saying, this is authoritative. This is my words to you. This is, I have the final say and you should listen to this. When he speaks, we should listen. So not only in the book of Malachi, but do you know that the whole Bible is the word of the Lord? All of it? Not just the parts we like, even the parts that are difficult for us to read? Difficult for us to obey, like, like submitting to our parents, submitting to authority, not lusting, loving our enemies, all of those things. God gives us these commands for our joy and for our safety. So we should be willing to humble ourselves and obey them and, and obey our loving creator. Um, which is why when I speak, you will always see me referring back to what the Bible says. 
and not just my opinion. Because why are you going to listen to my? You already have your opinion. Why does? Why will my opinion trump your opinion? But if it's God's word, and I'm explaining what God has said to you, then I would hope that it would be something that you would listen to. Live it out by the power of the Spirit, not by the power of our flesh, right? Because the flesh what? The flesh is dead, right? We learned that at a retreat. And it's, uh, it's by Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. So that seems like a good person to send a message with, right? And it's written to Israel. To Israel. Here's what's going on. As the book of Malachi is being written, this is the situation that Israel is in. Israel has returned from exile. And things are not going so well in Israel. Now, why was Israel in exile in the first What does exile mean? Outcast, sent away, right? Kevin said bondage. They were all of these things, all right? The Babylonians had come in and conquered Israel, left it in ruins, destroyed it, killed all the people, and took, not all the people, but took uh, the captives back to Babylon. And so Israel was left empty and with nothing. Why did that happen? Because Israel ignored all of God's warnings. Israel had chosen to ignore God and just do whatever they wanted. And uh, God said, hey, you know, you need to stop doing these things that you're doing. Otherwise, I'm going to bring judgment on you. But they never listened to his warnings. They disregarded his mercy so many times that God finally had to bring the judgment on them. Why did this happen? Because they refused to turn to God and love him and obey him. So this is like, it's just a barren wasteland out in Israel as Malachi is writing this. And the people have returned from exile and they're trying to set up their lives again, but they're not doing it according to the way that God had shown them how to do it in the law. And so God says, I have to write this letter to you. But here's the lesson for some of you. God is not going to let you live your life He's not going to let you live a life of totally unchecked sin. He doesn't let his people live in unchecked, unabashed, unashamed sin without doing something. If you are really his child, he will not let you live a life that constantly ignores him. So here's what's going to happen. Situations are going to pop up. Uh, Friendships are going to disappear. Relationships are going to break down. And all of these things are are designed by God and allowed by Him to draw you closer to Him. So God allows, He leads us into exile to open our eyes to our neglect of Him, to the fact that we haven't been obeying Him, that we haven't been surrendering to Him. And when we do turn back to reawaken a passion for him that was missing, just like he did with Israel. And we get to the place where where we finally say, Lord, I give up. I'm tired of running. And and I'm going to do things your way, surrendered to you. 
This is what happens when God leads us into exile and brings us back. So, what does God actually say? We know it's an oracle. We know it's a burden on God's heart for his people. What does he say? What does he start out with? Verse 2, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. God starts out with a clear statement of his love. And this doesn't really surprise us because we learned in 1 John that God is love, right? But when, when your parents are in the middle of disciplining you or grounding you or doing whatever, and they tell you, I love you, <laughs> how well do you receive that? I mean, do you say, oh, yes, mommy, you love me. Thank you. Spank me again. Uh, <laughs> right? Take away more of my allowance. Please, let me stay in my room all day with no internet and just my homework to do. I know it's because you love me and I appreciate it. That's not, that's not how we respond, right? Hmm. Why? Because, because all we know is that we're experiencing pain and and discouragement, and it seems like, you know, you're doing, you're the ones doing this to me, so I really don't like you right now. I don't believe that you love me. And the Israelites are the same way. But, you know, God knows exactly what they're thinking. And it can be annoying when people tell you what you're thinking. Um, like, how, do you, how did you know that that's what I was thinking? People get annoyed with me all the time because I know what they're thinking. And then I tell them and, and then they get mad and pretend like that, that I didn't know that that's what they were thinking. Um, because, because you feel exposed, right? You feel like, I didn't give you permission. I didn't, I didn't give you permission to confront me on that. Yes, ma'am? Why... I have, lo- I have loved you. Okay, we're going to get to that. Because this is what he says. Um, anyway, sometimes, sometimes, no, seriously, I'm going to talk to you. Um, sometimes it needs to happen where people tell us what we're thinking before we really admit that that's what we're thinking. But here's what God says. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, and these are the Israelites. God is telling the Israelites what they're thinking. He says, but you say, how have, I, how have you loved us? Um, the Israelites feel like the love that God showed them was in the past. They feel like it's not there anymore. All right? And God is saying, yes, I, I have loved you. And, and it's when we're in the discipline, when, we're, you know, when God is trying to bring us back, it's easy to forget the love that has been shown to us by him or by our parents or whoever it is that's in charge of us that is stopping us from doing exactly what it is we want to do. And we say, oh, you don't love me. You never loved me. And girls, guys do this too. When it, you know, like if someone breaks up with them and then, then, the, then the other person starts dating somebody, it's like, oh, you never, you never cared about me. When they really did. Um, anyway. But... God says, I have loved you. Yes, in the past, I have loved you. Even though you don't think so, I have. And he's going to explain it right now. They say, but you say, 
how have you loved us? And this is a continuous pattern that we're going to see in this book where God will make a statement and the people will play dumb. All right? Uh, how, did, how did I do that to you? Did I really do that? Um, and, and there's this whole, like, why does that offend you attitude? You know, that shouldn't bother you. Come on, God. You don't need to be like that. Um, and, and, and we all think we're slick because, because we don't want to confess more than, than what we think the person already knows that we did, right? So we're like, mm, why don't you tell me what I did? Right? So I don't agree to, to get in more trouble than what you, than what you want to get me in trouble for. So, but, but God will always lay it out. He doesn't play games. He's always going to be honest. He's always going to tell the truth because He knows everything. All right? And a lot of you are tired of people playing games with your heart. All right? God doesn't do that. He's not going to do that. He's going to be honest and gentle and truthful because He is looking out for your best. So, the people say, how have you loved us? We don't, we don't really believe that you love us. So, people say, God, prove to us that you really love us. Because from where we're sitting right now, you're doing a pretty crappy job. That's what they're saying. They're saying, how have you loved us? They're saying, no, you haven't loved us. Prove it to us. Because we don't believe you. But listen up, guys. I guarantee you that at some point in your life, you will have this exact same reaction. Where you will go through something and you will say, God, right now it feels like you don't love me. And the pain will be so great, it will feel like he's forgotten about you. And you'll feel like, God, you never really did love me. And you'll want to give up. Not only do we do this with God, we do this with our parents, we do this with our friends. right? We say, you don't really love me. You never love me. If you loved me, you would fill in the blank. You would give me what I want. You would spend more time with me. You would do this. You would do that. All of these things. We do this with, with our leaders, uh, people who are in charge of, over us. When they confront us and when they tell us about uh, patterns that they notice in our lives that are going to pull us away from God, we don't like it when they confront us on those things. And so we stop talking to them. And we drift further and further away. And we start to believe the lie that God doesn't love us. But God still responds to the Israelites' complaints. He answers their objection. He gives them evidence. They say, "Mm, you haven't really loved us. Prove it. He says, here we go. All right, buckle up. He says, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. 
Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God says, I do love you. I have loved you. How do you know? When you compare how I deal with you, Jacob, Jacob and Israel are the same. All right? Jacob's new name is Israel, so they're the same. Jacob had a brother named Esau. Esau and Edom are the same. Okay? So here we go. Jacob and Esau are in the same family. Yet, it tells us that God chose to love Jacob and to hate Esau. Now, what does this love-hate mean? In the ancient Near East, back in these times, this was this love-hate, this was a way of them saying, I have chosen to bless this one, and I have chosen not to bless this one. All right? It doesn't mean I hate him and I have no affection for him. It just means this one is going to be the one that gets the real blessing, the true blessing. All right? And now he's saying, you, Jacob, you were the one who got the blessing. But did he deserve any of that blessing? Jacob was the youngest son in the family. And back then, the oldest son is the one who got all of the benefits, who got all of the blessing, all of the inheritance, and yet God chooses Jacob. What kind of person was Jacob? Deceiver, a liar, a swinger, right? Jacob was the kind of person who would say anything to get what he wanted. He was, a, he was good at weaseling himself out of situations and, and making sure he got the benefit. And yet God chose him as the person who, would, uh, who he would name his people after, who he would uh, send the prophets through, who the Messiah was going to come through. And so God says, look at Jacob. You didn't deserve to be chosen, Israel but I still chose you. And so in that way, I have loved you. And it's the same for us. God has chosen us as his special children, even though we don't deserve it. God has chosen you and me. We are just as much sinners as anyone else. Even though we are Christians and we're saved and Jesus has washed us clean, we are still... We were just as much sinners as anyone else who is not saved. But God has chosen to bless us through Jesus and to save us through Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection. Did we deserve that? No, we did not. But sometimes we take it for granted. And, And just like these Jews... Uh, we only focus on the problems that are around us. And we miss out on what we already have, on what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. So God says, yeah, I have loved you in the past. And now he's going to explain to them, here's how I'm going to love you in the future. It seems like I'm treating you just like everybody else, right? Because Israel is in ruin and Edom is also in ruin. Because the Babylonians came and wiped out everything down there. So Jacob's, Israel's like, hey, we're in ruin and Edom's in ruin. 
aren't we supposed to be your special people? Why, why are we being treated the same as them? We don't feel very special. We don't feel very loved. God says, it seems like I'm treating you just like everybody else. Here's the difference. In the future, you will be restored. But they will not. God says, I've disciplined you. But the only reason I did that was to bring you back to a position of humility so that I could bless you again. To prepare you, to prepare your heart, to prepare your character just so I could bless you again. The unbelievers, those Edomites, those people who don't believe in me, who don't trust me, once I'm done with them, there's no turning back for them. They won't be able to recover Things are going to be so bad for them that people will look at them and say, wow, they, did, they must have done something to really piss God off. Because look at them. Their land is completely waste. Every time they try to rebuild their, build, their buildings and their cities, something happens. And everything gets destroyed. Why does that happen? Because God says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Man, just bad stuff is just going to continually happen to these people. But that's not going to happen to you because I love you. It's not because I hate him. It's because I love you that much more. Because you are his child. God still loves you. Some of you are going through things with your parents. You're going through arguments and difficulties with your friends. Uh, Your school grades might not be so hot. You're struggling with your teachers. Some of you, your families are in financial trouble. And it's easy to, uh, to look around and say, Hey, God, you know, I thought, I thought Christians we're supposed to be your special people. I thought we were supposed to be special to you, that we were supposed to get some kind of favor from you. And, and I'm not seeing it. God says, give him time. Be patient. Uh, let him work on you in this time of exile, or this time of wilderness. Um, and at the end, you will be able to say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. When God restores you, but He leaves the unbeliever in His state, you can look at that and say, Wow, God is great, even to me here in the Bahamas, beyond the border of Israel. God isn't just in Israel, God is everywhere. And He cares about everybody everywhere. And it's not going to be a friendship or a relationship with a guy or a girl or your grades that people are going to be amazed at. It's going to be how the Lord has worked and shown His love in your life. And so that should be your top priority, not all those other things. But I need to say this. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have access to this blessing. You don't have access to this hope, uh, to this special love that God could pour out 
on you if you would just accept what Jesus has done for you. God has made it possible for you to have access to these things through His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to Him and to receive His blessings. But not just for how great His blessings are. All right? It's not just about getting the blessing. It's not just about saying, Hey, yeah, I got saved when I was six years old. Thanks, God. Now I don't really give a flip about what you want me to do. So when I come to youth group, I'm just going to sit there and goof off and talk to my friends and not do anything. When I sit in church, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to text on my cell phone. I'm going to talk to my friends. And I'm going to completely ignore you. Because I'm a teenager, and who gives a crap when I'm a teenager? I'm going to wait till I'm 25. It's not just about what God has done for you. It's like you say, all right, God, I got what I wanted from you now. Thanks, and I'm gone. That's not what he wants from you. And if that's what you think Christianity is, you're wrong. If you think it's all about you getting saved and then doing whatever you want, you're wrong. God did not save you just so you could be happy. God saved you to worship Him. So I know some of y'all need to wake up. Even the young ones. It's cool if you want to come here and have fun and everything. That's great. That's what we want. We want you guys to be relaxed. Um, We love you guys. But we also don't want you to think that it's all about you. We want you to know that that we are here to praise God, to love Him, and to serve Him. Um, To be able to see what He has done and worship Him and praise Him in every country. And to be able to say, like the Israelites would be able to say, Great is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for, for your word, for reminding us that you do love us. Lord, I know that there are some here tonight who, who have never experienced your love, who feel like right now they're not sure if you love them because things are really hard. God, I just pray that you would make yourself uh, just so real to them, speak to them uh, in their spirit. Let them know that you are there and that you love them. Remind them of of all the ways that you have loved them in the past and assure them that you will love them in the future. And let that spring praise out of them, just like it will for for the Israelites in this book of Malachi. Lord, help us to to not just be all about ourselves, but to remember that, that you saved us for a purpose, and that is to love and worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.